This is the Austin Life Church podcast. For more information, please visit us at austinlifechurch.com. Man, so my name's Corey, one of the pastors here at Austin Life Church. Um, our mission, our, the reason we are here is to lead people to life in Jesus. Um, we believe everyone is looking to make the most out of life. Um, we just believe everything else will fall short except Christ. Um, we believe he's the only thing that will uh, suffice and fill our, our desires and needs and longings. Um, and so, man, that is really kind of popping. Is it my face? It's probably my face. It's my face. Mike says it's my face. He always says it's my face. It's fine. Um, Man, so I was, as we were just singing that song, I was thinking about Exodus 33, and uh, it, it was after, um, it was after the, the Israelites were like, hey, where's God? I don't know. Let's make a golden calf out of our earrings. Like, let's melt all of our jewelry, and then we'll form this golden calf and worship it. And God was like, are you kidding me? Um, and so God was like, all right, y'all keep going, but I'm not going with you. Um, and Moses, he just said, he said, if your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. For how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not in your going with us so that we are distinct? I and your people from every other people on the face of the earth. And so God's like, hey, go ahead, but I'm not going. And Moses is like, no, if, if your presence isn't going, I don't, I don't want to go. And the reason he makes that point is because what makes, what sets Israel and Moses apart from everyone else is the presence of the living God. Uh, and so, I mean, I don't know about you, but I think, I think a lot of times, this has nothing to do with Jonah, by the way. Um, I think a lot of times I just, I know cognitively that God is real and, and that the Bible says he's, he's near, but I don't really sit and think on the fact that the living God of the world is present among us like right here in our presence, that is what sets this apart from everything else. And so we, we as a church, we don't want to just lead people to religion or to good moral people or to community or, or whatever. We, we want to lead people to Christ because in Christ, we have the presence of God. And that's what sets everything else, makes everything else different. And so just know that's our heart. That is our desire for you and for any person that ever comes here is to know that you know that you know, not just cognitively, but experientially, the living God of the world. And that's found in Christ. That, that is our hope. That is our prayer. And that's our desire for you is to know God. Uh, and so that's why we open his word. That's why we sing him. It's, it's to know him. It's to, to know who he is and what he says to us that we can be in relationship with God. Uh, and so today we're going to start going through the book of Jonah. Um, so if you have your Bibles, you want to turn to Jonah chapter 1. Um, if you're like, well, where's Jonah? Uh, it's right after um, Obadiah and right before Micah, if that helps. Um, Obadiah is your one-page book of the Bible. Um, uh, Jonah is two pages. Um, they're, they're stuck in the middle of your minor prophets. Um, come on, where, where do we go? There we go, Obadiah, Jonah. It's page uh, 774 for me. I have, don't have a clue what it is in your Bible, um, but there is a table of contents in the front that helps you find the small little minor prophets if you're like, where is Jonah? And Because you can literally turn over it just so easily. Uh, so Jonah chapter one. Um, Jonah was a historical prophet in Israel. Uh, he, he 
prophesied during the reign of King Jeroboam II during the mid 700s BC. Um, and so I think a lot of times when you think of, if you've heard the story of Jonah, what, what's one of the first things you think of when it comes to Jonah? Just say it out loud. He got, he got swallowed by a fish, right? He got swallowed by, if, if you said whale, I know why you thought that, but we don't know that it was a whale. It's just, it's just a big fish. We'll, we'll go from there. I don't know. Um, what's that? Controversy. It's, it's changes everything. Um, so yeah, that, that's our first thought, right? Is that, that Jonah got swallowed by this fish and was in the belly of this fish for three days and three nights. And then it got vomit, he got vomited up back on dry land, right? And so that is the first thought. It's kind of a big deal, but it's not the main point of Jonah at all. Um, it's not about him getting swallowed by this whale. And so um, I think a lot of times people question, like, is this a historical book? Like, did Jonah, did some, did, did he really get swallowed by a fish and then live for three days and three nights only to be vomited up? Or is this just like allegory, right? Is it just a, a parable for our lives today? Um, so it's written very much so like a historical book. Jonah was a real person, served in a real time, prophesied to real people. Um, and then I think we look at other parts of the Bible and it's like, okay, is, is this really that unreal? Like compared to the Bible, like really? I mean, We've got a God who creates the entire cosmos with his word and then sustains it all and names every star. And, and we've, got, we've got a God who steps onto earth as a baby and lives a perfect life and then does miracles like giving sight to the blind and raises the dead. And then he's crucified and then he's raised from the dead and ascends to heaven. And, and apparently in all of that, our sins are forgiven and we're giving. Like if we can take that as historically real, then, then why could we not say, oh yeah, well, God could easily have a fish swallow a man and spit him back out, right? Like so... I don't think, I think our challenge is we just wrestle with the supernatural. We're like, I, I don't know, like maybe there, but really, I don't know. Um, here's another thing I think that God's really challenging me with right now uh, is, is just that God is, is, he still acts in our lives today. Like, I think I just read it and I'm like, that's great for Jonah or that's great for Peter or whatever. But, but really, like, I'm, I don't know, we're in 2019. I'm pretty capable myself. And, and I think that's one of our downfalls is that we just forget and we don't look to the fact that God still interjects and moves in our lives today. That he still performs miracles and heals and saves and moves in powerful ways. Um, I think more so the problem is not with God doing the miracles. I think more so the problem with our faith that God moves in the miracles. Like that's, that's just my own conviction and what God's challenging me with right now. Um, I, I read this as a historical book. I think that it happened. Uh, but, but the theme is not, the, the main point is not that Jonah got swallowed by a fish. The main point of Jonah is that the readers would see a compassionate and merciful God who is relentless in his love to pursue a people who run. Like that is the point of Jonah from chapter one to chapter four is to see a God who is relentless in his love and compassion to pursue a people who are running away from him. That's the, that's the main theme of Jonah. That's what I'm praying we will see is that, that just like Jonah ran, we, we run. And just like Nineveh was living in rebellion to God, we live in rebellion to God. And just how God pursued Jonah and God pursued Nineveh, that God pursues you and me today in love. That we wouldn't have to stay where we are. So that's the hope. So let's read Jonah chapter one. We're gonna read the whole chapter. It's not a long book of the Bible. It's one of those books where you're like, okay, we can actually read every verse of this book of the Bible 
during this series. We're going to do it. So Jonah chapter 1. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with him to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God, and they hurled the cargo that was on the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had laid down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, what do you do? What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. And as they said to one another, come, let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. And they said to him, tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country and what people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, what is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Then they said to him, what shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. He said to them, pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard. It, another translation says the men dug their oars in, right? They were, they were set. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land, but they could not. For the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore, they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life and lay not on us innocent blood. For, for you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. God, we thank you for your word. Your word has come to us. It's a gift to know you and to know how you've called us into life to follow after you. God, speak to us today. Let me invite you, would you take a minute and would you just ask God to speak to you? In whatever words you would say to him, just in your own mind and heart, would you ask God to speak directly to you today? Holy Spirit, would you, would you use me would you help me to, to minister um, to this church for your glory, for our good? Would you open our ears to hear you? Would you block out any distracting temptation or thought from the devil that we could see you, hear you, and know you? It's in Christ we pray. Amen. So Jonah, right out of the gate, right in verse 1, in verse one and 2, we see that the word of the Lord comes to Jonah. Jonah, get up. Arise and go to Nineveh and, and call out against its evil. Jonah, get up and go to Nineveh. Preach truth against its evil, against what they are doing. Jonah, as I already said, is a prophet. 
He, he's a good, moral, upright man. Like no, n- n- not just anyone gets to be called a prophet. Not just anyone gets the direct word of God to give to his people, but, but Jonah is a prophet. But more than just his role, he is a man that has submitted to God. He has trusted and put his faith in the God of the Bible, which, which means he surrendered to him. He has said, God, your way, not mine. God, your will, not my will. So Jonah, by faith, has trusted in God, and now God's command comes to him. God's, God's word comes to Jonah, and as a man who has surrendered to God, the expectation is that Jonah would take the word of God and follow it in obedience. Right, that Jonah would say, all right, God, whatever you say, not what I want, whatever you say, God, is the command. And so God's command comes, Jonah, get up, go to Nineveh and preach the truth, preach against their evil. Nineveh is a uh, city that is just north of Israel, uh, in modern day, um, just north of what modern day Baghdad is. And so Jonah's command is to, to go. It was a, a great and powerful city. That's what God says. Go to that great city. It's a powerful city, but it's also an incredibly wicked city. Uh, even in, in Jonah 3, which we'll see uh, in a couple of weeks, the king says himself how wicked and evil and violent Nineveh is. Historically, Nineveh was known, I was reading some reports, um, some articles on, on the character of Nineveh, and their violence was unprecedented. Um, I, I, I was disturbed just reading it um, of the fact that they would uh, gosh, I don't even want to say it. Like, it's just, it's, it's gross. It's horrific, uh, the violence. They just had no moral filter on men, women, children. It didn't matter. I mean, and they would, the, the torture that they would inflict on their enemies, of which Israel was one of them, right? So in, in a day when Israel is bordering Syria, which is where Nineveh was, like they're, they're enemies, they're rivals for the land. And so Nineveh's wickedness was historically against Israel. The people that Jonah is, that's his people, that's his nation. That's who he is a prophet of God for. And so they're a wicked people. And God says, hey, Jonah, get up and go preach truth to them. Get up and go to these wicked people, these, these people who are violent and your enemies, these people who you've probably got direct connection to someone who was harmed by them. Hey, get up and go to them and tell them the truth. Tell them that they can repent. We see later in chapter three that the message that God gives him is a message of repentance. An invitation for Nineveh to turn from their evil ways to turn to God and in so doing, find forgiveness and compassion and mercy and healing. It's the same invitation that Peter gave in Acts 3 to the very ones that nailed Jesus to the cross. Repent and turn back that your sins may be blotted out and that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. That's ultimately what God is asking Jonah to do. Hey, go to Nineveh and tell them that they can have forgiveness. Let's take a second real quick. Now, I'm not comparing us to the actions of Nineveh, but praise God that he offers forgiveness to the wicked and the evil. Praise God that in his kindness and mercy that that he offers forgiveness life to the offender. Praise God that he pursues the one who is actively offending him. 
That, that the one being offended pursues in love the offender and offers them forgiveness while they are actively offending him. That sets the God of the Bible apart from anyone else. That's why we can say, God, there's no one like you. There's none like you. That, that you go in compassion and love and you offer forgiveness to a people that are not only running from you, they are actively opposing you. That's the God of the Bible. That's the God that you and I need to find healing and forgiveness with. So God's word comes to Jonah. We see it very clearly, right? Verse two, we know, we know, we know what God told Jonah to do, right? Jonah knew too. Like Jonah knew what God was saying. He knew what God's word was, arise and go to Nineveh. The question isn't, man, what was God saying? The question is, what is Jonah going to do with what God says? That's the question of Jonah's heart. And it's the same question for you and me. The question for us isn't, man, what is God saying? The question is black and white. What are you going to do with what God says? Luke 9, 23 to 24, Jesus says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. Matthew 28, 19 to 20, Jesus says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. John 13, 34, Jesus says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also should love one another. We read last week in Colossians 3, right? The command, put to death anything that is earthly, put on in everything that is Christ-like. In Philippians 2, do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility consider others as more significant than yourself. So here's what I know. For everyone in this room and anyone who's watching or listens to the podcast, we know what God tells us. At this point, we don't have an excuse. That, that is very clear what God is telling us to do. The question for every one of us now that you have to take an answer before the Lord is, what will you do with what God tells you to do? That's off of my shoulders. That's between me and the Lord. That's between you and the Lord. We will all stand before him one day and he will say, you knew what my word was. Just like Jonah knew what the word was, you know what my word says. The question is, what will you do with what God tells you to do? That is, you can't punt that to somebody else. I can't put that on Jonah and be like, all right, bro, what are you gonna do? That's for me and you today. We know what God has told us. We just read it. What are you going to do with it? What am I going to do with what God has told me to do? What Jonah do? God says, arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, call out against it for their evil has come up before me. He knew what God was telling him to do. No questions asked, just like me and you. What did Jonah do? But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. God says, Jonah, get up and go to Nineveh. And Jonah got up, 
but not to go to Nineveh, to go down to Joppa, to get on a boat, to go down to Tarshish. I have a map here to give you a visual of of the direction that Jonah went. So Nineveh is is up here in Syria. Um, Jonah is down here in Israel. You see Joppa and you see the arrow. Tarshish is across the Mediterranean Sea. Jonah knew. He knew where Nineveh was. He knew what the word of God was. And he also knew where he wanted to go. God said, hey, go to Nineveh. And Jonah said, I don't like what you're telling me to do. I'm going to choose myself. I'm going to choose my way. I'm going to choose my route. Here's the deal, right? Here's the deal. Jonah was not some wicked person. He's a prophet of Israel. He was a holy man. He loved God. He wanted to follow God. He went to church. He worshiped. He knew his law. He, loved, he, was, he had surrendered his life to God. He was not some wicked, terrible person. And yet his heart did not want to follow the command of God. And so he chose his own way. He chose to go his own route. This is sin. Choosing myself over what God says. Anytime, any time I say no to God, I'm choosing my own way and I'm choosing sin. I mean, it's not like, it's not like Jonah was, you know, going to kill somebody or he was going to like do some, some big sin or whatnot. He was simply not going to a wicked, terrible, evil people who's probably hurt his family. He was simply not going to go extend love to a people that were his enemies. He was simply not going to put himself in harm's way to a people who have historically proven to kill Israelites. So when you look at it objectively, it's kind of like, ah, you know, I kind of see what he's doing there. But what he's doing is he is trusting in his own wisdom and what makes sense to him And he's choosing his way over God's. And anytime we say no to what God tells us, anytime God's word comes to us and we don't follow it, that's sin. It's it's sin. And it's very clear what is actually happening here. Like, where, where is Jonah going? To Tarshish? Yes. But really, what's where's he going? away from the presence of the Lord. That's what it says, right? He rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. I mean, three times in chapter one, that's what it says he's ultimately doing. Because sin separates us from the presence of God. Every single time, I cannot be moving near to God if I'm also holding tight to sin. I can't be moving into his presence while also trying to choose my own way in opposition to him. It is is impossible for me to draw near to God while also trying to draw near to my own ways. I am choosing to flee the presence of God every time I choose sin, just like Jonah was. This This is the tragedy that began in Genesis 3. Right, like this is how it all began. In Genesis chapter three, I mean, everything was great for two chapters. Then we get to Genesis three. It says the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. The devil is a lying, deceiving snake, y'all. 
And right now, John 10 says that he is the thief who wants to steal, kill, and destroy. He is actively looking for someone to devour. He said to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it lest you die. But the serpent said, no, 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 you surely won't die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, when the woman looked, took her eyes off of God and trusted in her own wisdom, when she decided what was best for her life rather than what God had told her, when she decided that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that it was desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made loincloths. This has far more to do with vulnerability and shame than, than whether they have clothes on or not. They knew that they were in the wrong. They were ashamed instantly. So what they do, verse eight, they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his, his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said, where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. Y'all hiding never existed until Genesis three. Hiding did not exist in Genesis one and two. We didn't start hiding until sin entered the picture and shame and fear came into our lives. So you've got Adam and Eve, and now you've got Jonah who've been so deceived that the safest, best place of life, the fullness of joy, the fullness of life in the presence of God, they're now looking at that and saying, that's not safe for me anymore. I've got, to, I've got to run from God. I've got to hide from his presence because of the shame and fear in my life. It's the greatest tragedy and deception. John 10, 10, I said, the thief, he's come to steal, kill, and destroy. That's what he got in Genesis 3. That's what he gets in Jonah chapter 1. When we flee from the presence of God, we are under the, the, the oppression of the devil to steal, kill, and destroy. Jesus came that we'd have life and have it abundantly. So when we're running and hiding from God, we're running from the presence of God, the very place of life. And we're submitting ourselves under the rule of the devil where death and destruction is found. Man, we look at, we look at Jonah, we look at Adam and Eve and we're like, what are you doing, man? Like, come on, it's, it's right there. Like why, God said, go this way. Why are you doing that? Like we, we look at it like it's so obvious and yet that's what happens to us all the time. We are just like Jonah. We trust our own wisdom and what makes sense to us and we run and hide from the presence of God because of it. Where are you running right now? What are you trying to hide from God? Are there any areas of your life? Remember, Jonah, I mean, the bulk of his life from the outside looking in, none of us would think like, oh man, Jonah's a mess. Like everything looked right. He played, for the most of it, 90% of his life was good. It's that 10%. It's that, that corner. It's that one area they're like, let me just sweep this under the rug. Let me hide this so that no one can see it. So that I can, where are you hiding 
What are you running from? What's the word of God that you don't want to embrace and you want to go the other way from? I know for me in this season, um, it's, I've turned inward a lot. Tim Keller writes in a book that w- woundedness turns you inward. It causes you to look at yourself and to, to be self-protecting. And, and, and it's so easy right now for me to be self-protecting, to, to try and preserve my own um, emotions or feelings. And, and the Bible says to lay that down and to die to myself and to give myself away regardless of what's happening around me. But it, there's so many times I'm like, that doesn't make sense to me. Like, I've got to take care of myself. Maybe it's a relationship that you know is toxic. You know is unhealthy. You know that when you're with this person or you're with these people that you just don't seem to say no. Maybe it is some addiction that has gripped your soul. A substance that you continue to grab and chase after for some high. Or the shame of pornography that is at every screen imaginable. You just want to hide it and tuck it away. Maybe you want to hold tightly to your resources. You worked hard for your paycheck, right? It's yours. Maybe it's just surrendering to Jesus and trusting him. You don't want to give up control. We are, we're all like Jonah. We all tend to run and hide and it's choosing ourselves rather than choosing God. And here's the, here's the deal. I promise you, anytime you want to run from God, the devil will make sure that there's a boat to take you to Tarshish. Anytime you want to compromise just a little bit, the devil will make sure to swing open that door so you can walk right through He'll always put the boat there for you. But we've got to see it's a boat that leads to death, not to life. Running and hiding never leads to life. So, so what happens? Jonah makes the call. What, is, what happens now? Verse four, but the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea and there was a mighty tempest, a mighty storm on the sea so that the ship threatened to break up. The mariners were afraid. They cried, they're throwing their cargo over the ship to lighten the load. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had laid down and was fast asleep. So, so here's the deal, right? There's, there are always consequences with sin. Sin always has a cost, Matt in community group this week, he said that the devil is going to, he's going to present it to sell high, but it's always going to deliver really low because there's always a cost that comes with our, our sinful choices. And this, we see there's, there's wordplay that, that Jonah, the, that he uses. It's, a, it's an irony that God says, hey, rise up and go to Nineveh. But what happens? Jonah goes down to Joppa. He goes down into a boat. Then he goes down into a deep sleep. That's, that's an intentional Hebrew wordplay that when we run from the presence of the Lord, our lives are not going to go up, but they're going to go down, down, down. It's an intentional wordplay that the, that the author is trying to, to, to make us see that we're, we're not going to walk in abundant life when we're running from the presence of God. We're not going to know the fullness of joy that he has for us when we're hiding 
It is impossible for us to walk in his abundance while holding tightly to our sin. And Jonah is feeling the weight sinking down, down, down further into that depth. I think a lot of times we think like, okay, my sin is just going to affect me. Right? Like I can take this and I can carry this load and I can bury it and it's not going to affect anybody else. But here's what I want to tell you. If there is anybody that loves you, which there's no doubt in my mind, there's someone that loves every person in here. When you are going down because of sin, it is affecting them. Because no one who loves you wants to see your life waste down. And so if you're like, oh, it's just me, like I'm just going to be in a depression or I'm just going to, you know, carry this load for the rest of my life or whatever it is, it is affecting those that love you. It never just affects you, ever. Sin that we hold on to, that we hide, is going to rot away from the inside out. We're, it's going to be impossible to be the, the brother or the husband or the, the wife or the daughter or the employee or the friend. We cannot be the person that God designed us to be if we're holding on to sin. And that affects the people around us. And nine times out of ten, it affects the ones that we love the most. Sin never just affects you. Ever. will always affect others. We see, in, we see random men are terrified for their lives. That this storm has come on them, not because they've done something wrong, but because Jonah did something wrong. That they're now terrified for those. They're tossing their own possessions over the boat. Right, like their financial goods, their job, their livelihood is now being affected because Jonah is sinning. Because our sin doesn't just affect us, it affects those around us. And so for the love of God and for the love of people around us, we've got to, we've got to put it away. We've got to kill it. But there's something else here, the consequence of Jonah's sin, that is more compelling for us to see. Remember, the theme of, the, of Jonah is the compassionate, steadfast love of God to pursue those that run. Look at verse four. Where did this storm come from? Was it like just, you know, some, I don't know, forces of nature? The wind just started blowing and the elements came? No. The Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea. God brought the storm into Jonah's life. A storm would have never been there if Jonah hadn't run. But Jonah was running, and so God brings this storm into Jonah's life. Jonah is running to the sea, away from the God who created the sea. Right? Like the irony of that. Jonah thinks, I can run and hide. I'll go down to the ocean. I'll get down to this boat. And here, God, God, God won't see me. It's the, it's the comedy of Adam hiding behind some bushes, right? God's like, hey, Adam, where are you? And he's like, oh, if I hide behind the bushes, right? Like God's, God's not very good at hide and seek. Like, he won't find me. And it's foolish. David says in Psalm 139, there's nowhere that we go from the presence of God. If we ascend to the heights, he's there. If we ascend to the depths, he's there. There's not a word we speak that God didn't know beforehand. We think we can hide from God and there's nothing hidden from God. There's no place we can run, no depth we can hide in that God's not like, hey, I'm here, which is great news because we need help and we need someone to come into our mess and to pull us out. And that's what God is doing with this storm. He's not angry. 
If you look over in chapter 4, verse 2, we see the character of God. Jonah says, For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. God's not like angry and he lost his temper and he's like, oh, I hate Jonah. <sighs> Let me throw the storm on him. He just like lost his cool, much like you and I react. This is a loving, passionate father chasing after his son that is walking into disaster. There's times when I'm going to raise my voices with my kids. There's times that if they go get themselves into trouble, you better believe I'm rolling in there. And it's not going to be this casual, passive, like, hey, you know, like, let's, let's go ahead and leave. No, 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 no. My daughter walks into a situation that she shouldn't be in. I'm going after her. And, and as you know, if you're a dad, you know, and, and you who have, you, you know, that's, that's maybe not going to go so well. But it's out of love, Right? Because we can see this is going to kill you. This is going to ruin your life. And so I will come after you with passion and with everything I have. And that is what we see with God is that he's pursuing in love. A loving father disciplines his children. If a father doesn't discipline, he does not love. He's just great with his kid walking into disaster. But a loving father, Hebrews 10 says, disciplines those he loves. And so God is chasing after Jonah. Y'all stop and think about it again. The word was clear. Go to Nineveh. Jonah's response was clear. Thanks, but no thanks. I'm going to do my own thing. He walks away from God. That's the time where in human relationships, you kind of go, well, best of luck to you. Brought it on yourself, right? Like, like that's just kind of how, we, but God chases after the ones that offend him because his love is greater than we can ever imagine. We see that for us, right? Romans 5 says, while we were still sinners, that God demonstrates his love for us. He shows it, he proves it. He throws a storm into our world and he throws that storm on Jesus that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. There was a storm thrown in verse four of chapter one in Jonah to, to bring Jonah back. And there's a storm of God's power and justice thrown onto the cross of Jesus in order to bring us back. Because he loves us so much that while we are sinners, he would pursue us and do everything needed to bring us back. That we are the ones deserving of this punishment and God is going to chase after us with Jesus. To, to die to forgive our sins, to rise to give us life. It's a love that is otherworldly but it's the love of the father. We're a lot like Jonah, y'all. We run and we hide. Praise God that he pursues us in love. He doesn't give up. That if we run to the ocean, he's going to be there. And if we run down to the dark depths of depression or darkness, he's going to be there working to bring us back in love. So what's the turning point? In verses seven to 10, we see them kind of trying to figure out like what, 
How did this happen? What, what, who brought this on us, right? And, and Jonah's like, well, you know, I fear the Lord. Like, I, I love God, but I'm also running from him. And they're like, what are you doing? Like, what? And then Jonah, they ask him in verse 11, what, what do we do? Like, how do we stop this? In verse 12, this is the turning point. He said, pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you. Why? For I know it is because of me that this great storm has come upon you. Jonah finally stops running and repents. He says, it's my fault. I've been running from God and God's chasing after me. And he says, and I know that when I stop running and I repent and I turn, then healing will come. Then the storm will die down. This is the heart of repentance that says no more. No more running. No more hiding. No more suffering. Here I am, God. All of me. I'm, I'm done. I surrender. I'm, I'm not. I'm, that's it. Absolute, complete surrender. No more running, complete surrender to God. And repentance moves us to action. If we think I'm going to repent, but it doesn't move us to obedience, we haven't repented. The heart of repentance says, that's it. And turns and actually acts in obedience to God. Jonah's like, no more running. No more. I'm done. I am not going to go another second away from the presence of God. That's it. No more. Now, Jonah didn't think, man, I don't know how to get back to Nineveh. He just knew he couldn't run anymore and still follow God. He had to surrender. And so he was like, throw me over. I can't go another step away. Throw me over. That's repentance. Throw me over. I I don't want to go another step. Whatever God chooses to do, that's up to him. He believed he would die. We'll see this in chapter two. He thought he would drown in the ocean. And for Jonah, drowning in the ocean was better than running away from God. He finally saw it and it sunk into his heart. Dying is better than fleeing the presence of God because at least he'll be with God, then it'll be over. And so he's like, no more. I repent, I'm done. And he let go of everything. And then he gets thrown in, verse 15, and the sea ceased from its raging. Jonah repents and restoration follows. Jonah lets go and restoration comes after. Listen, reconciliation and restoration cannot happen until we repent. If we think that our relationship with God will be restored while still trying to hold tightly to sin, we're standing in direct opposition to his word. If we think that our horizontal relationships are going to be restored while still actively holding tight to sin, we're standing in direct opposition to the God of this Bible. It cannot happen until we repent. I think a lot of times we we hold back on repentance because we trust in our own wisdom. What happens if I let go? I, I could drown here. Things could fall apart. I could lose my job. I could, 
I could lose my credibility. This could get messy. What happens if I actually confess and let go of where I'm hiding and running? What's going to, we trust in our own wisdom and and our own wisdom says, really, it's the devil telling us, hey, that's not going to go well. Like work out your own system, work out your own plan. Like don't be evil. Just, just figure it out on your own. And God's like, no, 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 no. Trust me, please. And let go and surrender fully. Because then restoration can follow. Even when we cannot possibly see a way. If you're sitting here right now and you know how you've been running, you know how you've been hiding, and you're thinking, I don't, I don't possibly see how this can go well. More often than not, God has a fish waiting to take us back. God's got a way that we can't even fathom that he wants to bring us back into restoration. God's got a plan that leads us to life. And the, the plea of the father is quit trusting in your own ways and trust in me and healing will follow. Restoration will follow. I can't tell you what that's going to look like, but we can trust the character of the God of this Bible that it's good. Whatever pathway he takes you, whatever fish he uses, whatever route he takes you, it is back to his presence and it's good. Don't run from his word. Don't run from his presence. Don't hide from what he's called us to do. Surrender to him, repent, trust him every day. And he promises that it's good. Whatever that route is, it's better than running from his presence. Look, we're, we're all like Jonah at times, probably every day at some point, right? We know what God says and we run or we hide. And the invitation of God is stop, no more. Let go, trust him, turn to him. He's got a way a means of grace for your redemption, for your good, that is better than running. The question is, do you trust him? Do you really trust that his ways are better? Thanks for tuning in to the Austin Life Church Podcast. To help support us, please take a second to rate and review us on iTunes and visit us at austinlifechurch.com.